We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. So now the question is, when is the right time to put Tua in? I believe week 10 or week 11, they have the Jets. Maybe it's even after a bye week. Week 11, What's that, Dick? So they have the Jets, then the bye week, and then the Jets, and then the Bengals. So that feels like the proper time to maybe put a guy in. I mean, who knows at what point the Jets are going to completely mail it in. or may, You know what? Maybe the Jets turn around and they rattle might. off 12 straight. I mean, we'd never know. And then if they also have the Bengals, that'll be a battle with Joe Burrow, which I think a lot of people would want to see, obviously. Uh, so maybe you wait until then. Uh, Brian Flores came out and said that he's trying to view it as if how he would want his son to be treated coming off of that injury. When do you put him back in? When do you keep him on? How long do you keep him on the sideline? It's a very interesting dynamic because everybody, like the Jets, okay, the Jets are not a great football team. Their defense could play like an NFL team one. Like they're filled with great players. You never know what's going to happen. So two is going to get dropped into the deep end at some point. And Ryan Fitzmagic is the head of that squad. It's been very obvious from the players and from the coaches. But it feels like that week 11, week 12, week 13, is that feels like the right time. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Buffalo Bills season ticket holders here. And that was Pat McAfee on when Tua Tagovailoa would and should get the start for the Miami Dolphins. Chris, we are here. It's the first quarter poll of the NFL season. And we're talking quarterly reports. Yeah. If you were like me, you dreaded them when you were in school. Yeah, because you're not smart. (laughs) 
And tonight, we're handing them out for every team. Quarterly reports around the division. What was your experience? with? Were you a good student? Uh, up until we moved to Atlanta. Then I became an asshole. By asshole, do you mean just uh, you, you got surrounded by kids in a smarter school district and your your stupidity became obvious? No. I mean, that would be if I had was born in the South and moved to the North. <laughs> From the North... Move to the south. So when so so what was your like? How did you ha- navigate that? Like, did you get nasty grams sent home, or were you just the quiet kid that people just worried about? I was that quiet kid that hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, other students that I went to elementary school with. Well, let's just hope that my name is not on that kid's list. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mohawk, the Travis Bickle thing—it all makes sense now. Well, I had a bull haircut back then. Oh so. my god. <laughs> Folks, we're tweeting that out. It's at Rockpile Report on Twitter. For me, quarterly reports were one of those things. I I wasn't a bad I, I wasn't a bad I wasn't a dumb kid in the sense that I didn't understand the material being presented to me. I was a kid who thought I can pass all these tests. Why do I need to do homework? This is a waste of my time. And in that way, everyone everyone pretty much hated me. My teachers, specifically, because they're just like, well, he gets good enough grades that we can't actually get him. Like, he's never in academic trouble. But you're in social trouble. He just won't do this thing. It's easy. Just do the homework. And you'd have 80s. And I'd say no. So then these quarterly reports would come out. And every teacher would have the same thing. And I would have to try to intercept. Chris, you'd have to try to either beat the mailman home or you'd have to have some excuses and stories and you'd have to try to tap dance your way and it never worked (laughs) you could never talk your parents out of being mad as they're looking at a piece of paper that articulates hey your son he contributes in class he's doing well his grades are decent he's turned in three homework assignments in the last five weeks well i would have that would be a problem for me in high school because at least high school is a lot different than going to elementary school i mean i could we could go down a whole rabbit hole of how I had to get stuff signed by my parents in high school. Hey, and I had, I had to set social and academic goals in high school for each week. What? Yeah. It's a real thing. Folks, this is all making so much more sense. I'm glad we're having this conversation. But you know what, Chris? Kindred spirits. I had a planner that was provided by the school. My parents and my teachers got together and decided that you know how they were going to curb my lack of not wanting to do homework? They were going to make the teachers had to sign my planner every day. Every teacher who I owed a homework assignment to had to sign it to to kind of illustrate that I turned in my homework for that day. Yeah. Do you know how many planners got, quote unquote, lost that year? All of them. <laughs> we had I had to have I was I had a point system in high school. Like I would get a point for being on time, courteous, cooperative. <laughs> You know, they had to bribe you to be a normal human being. Yeah, like during <laughs> class, like teacher would take notes, and then at the end of the class, I think you got five. You could get a total of five points for the oh. class. I would generally accumulate three points. I mean, I my poor parents. We put them through. I I put them through everything. Those poor teachers, because they're just like kid. You're smart enough to not be this big of a jerk, but and you yet are. Here we are. And yet here we are. And I think 
I think Chris, in that way, thinking back about our childhood and how, how we handled quarterly reports, it says a lot about who we are today. And actually, now that we're sitting here talking about it, we are just a disaster group of misfits over here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and yet, hey, our podcast is awesome. Cheers. So with that, we launch directly into breaking down the a state of the AFC East at the first quarter poll of the 2020 season. So to kick this things off, I think the place to start is with the team that's directly behind us in the standings for the first time in what feels like forever, the New England Patriots. And here to walk us through it, we have friend of the show. I don't even know why he takes time out of his busy schedule for, for us. But Mr. Mark Schofield, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, gentlemen. It is uh, great to see you. It's great to be um I guess looking up at you in the standings um, <laughs> after four weeks, kind of an un- uncomfortable position, but getting used to it. Cheers to you five gentlemen. Thank I'll you, raise sir. my diet sun kiss, which is soon to be filled with vodka um, yeah. momentarily once I get done working. But it's good to see you guys. Good yeah. to see you. We are the diet sun of podcasting. <laughs> there you go. That's an all timer. What's up that audio? So. First of all, before we get into a quarterly report, we got to talk about last night's game. Do we have to? Oh, we have to. Oh, you know we wouldn't not. Here's the thing. I, I, I forgot that it was earlier than regular Monday Night Football. So I told my wife, I volunteered. I'm like, listen, the kid's not feeling well. You, you watch him. I'll do the dishes. I'll do all this stuff. And then my phone goes off with a fantasy football update. And I realized there's only like three or four minutes left in the second quarter. And I go, oh, shit, this game's on. So I put it on on my phone and I put my headphones on as I'm washing, washing dishes and I'm watching the game kind of in the corner. It dawns on me. It's six to three. What the hell am I watching? The Kansas City Chiefs only have six points. First of all, what did you see from the Patriots defense last night? in terms of slowing down the most prolific offense in football over the last three years. Yeah, and I, look, Belichick's had the ability to stop Patrick Mahomes at least for a half. I mean, the first two times these teams met back in 2018, regular season game, AFC Championship game. They had, I think, six points in the, or nine points in the first half in the regular season, and they were shut out in the first half that AFC championship game and they had six points last night and they've done it differently. What you saw last night wasn't what you've usually seen them do. Usually you've seen them play like some man coverage, one cross where you're robbing the, the crossing routes and stuff like that. But now they're worried more about Mahomes and his legs. So they played a lot more zone coverage. They played a lot of zone coverage last night. They tried to keep things in front of them and just hammer Travis Kelsey. Like every time Travis Kelsey tried to get off the line of scrimmage, just hammered him. Like, there was a play where Shalit Calhoun depleted the guy as he was coming off the line of scrimmage in the first half. Just like, no, we're not going to give you a free release. And the reason why you do that is, late in the first half, late in the second half, Chase Winovich misses on the jam, and he's open. And he hits him. Patrick Mahomes hits him immediately for a huge catch and run. So it, it was a little bit of a different game plan, but a lot of zone coverage. Keep stuff in front of you. Keep your eyes on Mahomes. Show some different looks at him. Jam the heck out of Travis Kelsey. And see what you can do. And, and they did it for, as we've seen with other teams, you do it for 40, 45, 50 minutes, and it's still not enough because they've always got the ability to get up on you in a hurry, and they did that last night. From an offensive perspective, 
There was talk by some lunatics out there in the NFL, various NFL communities that Cam Newton might not even make the Patriots' final roster. There was talk that, oh, Cam might be on the bubble. Last night, we got to see both of the Patriots' other options at quarterback. I don't not pretty. Know, <laughs> I don't know where that notion ever could have come from. No. As a former quarterback and as someone who analyzes quarterbacks both in your writing, both in your material, both in what you produce, and also just out of your own personal mania because you used to play the position. How bad did Stidham and Hoyer do last night? I mean, Hoyer broke on two different occasions the cardinal sins of quarterbacking. I mean, when you're out of timeouts at the end of a half and you're dropping back to pass when you're already in field goal range, there are like two things you cannot do under any circumstances. One is to throw the ball short of the end zone in the field of play, and the other is to take a sack. And he did one of those, too. He took a sack and got up thinking he had a timeout. And for a a team that prides itself, a coaching staff, an organization that pride themselves on situational awareness, that was an absolute situational awareness meltdown. Like, it was just – it was football 101. And then in the second half, same situation basically, but this time he just takes too long with the decision and he gets strip sacked. And those are, again, football 101 moments. You know, I think Stidham was put into an interesting situation. They were down 13-3 when he came in. And he let a touchdown drive to make it 13-10. And then you have an interception pick six go through Edelman's hands. I mean, I think that kind of, you know, raises a different set of questions. And I'm not sure we want to go down that road. But it's not like Stidham was put into the best environment. I still think, look, if Cam can't go Sunday, I think you start of the two. You start Stidham. Just because, look, you've seen what you've got from Ryan Hoyer at least – Maybe you get a little bit of growth and development and get Stidham some reps. But, yeah, I mean, right now, if if Newton's go, if Newton's out of the lineup, I don't think this team's scared anyone. Well, I'll say this. I, I, I watched that Edelman play, and the first thing that flashed through my mind was me yelling at Chris. Yelling at Chris, telling him that he didn't know what he was talking about. When Josh Allen threw a screen pass to Stephon Diggs against the Rams, and he threw it into the ground. He threw it low. Specifically, and I guess the the and Chris goes well. That just seems like he was trying to protect the football. And of course, well, I, I no, I thought I was like, well, with a wide receiver screen, you got to get that ball out to the wide out as quick as possible. Maybe it was thrown into the ground and he didn't have his fingertips on the laces. And then he and, and my then, friend Doug tried talking me off the ledge because yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, this is inexcusable. And they go. <laughs> And Chris goes, no, that makes sense that you would try to protect the football by putting it low so that it can't be intercepted on a screen pass. And I, I'm telling him and my friend that they're both idiots. You're both, you're both, you're the dumbest people I've ever talked football with. And then I watched that play last night, and I, I had my phone in my hand. I was about to text Chris, and then I'm like, I can't give him that. I you can't, can't give, give him the satisfaction. I can't give him the satisfaction. But I watched that interception happen, and I go, that's why. That's why you don't throw high screen passes. <laughs> and it was the second throw of the night that went through Edelman's hands. They were just lucky. The first one, oh, Gunnar Oshevsky was right behind Edelman. He actually made a catch off the deflection. But you know, there is talk sort of in some Patriot circles about, okay, do we have a Julian Edelman problem right now? And you might start to wonder. I mean, we are at the point he's older than Wes Welker was when Welker sort of broke down. Slot receivers like running back in the Patriots offense. You take a lot of shots. You take a lot of hits. A lot of routes over the middle. He's got uh, an injury history. Like, look, he's a warrior, obviously. You saw what he did against Seattle in that comeback that, you know, fell short. 
But there are some questions right now, I think, about Julian Edelman. Well, there's a lot of questions, and there's also, and that's why we bring you onto the show tonight to give your quarterly review of the New England Patriots. You sit here at a two and two record, second in the AFC East. I, you've got some rankings of note here that I, I can't help but bring up. First of all, you're the second ranked rushing offense in the NFL, which the fa- Damian Williams last. I mean, you guys set last night that that. Listen, Alabama running backs, don't yep. sleep on him. He, you guys did the yeoman's work, and you're the second rate rushing offense in the NFL. You're also the twenty. You only have one, there that <laughs> You have one wide receiver with more than 200 yards receiving this season to four games, and 47.6 percent of all air yards are after the catch. Now, if we're talking about breaking down the New England Patriots in 2020 at the first quarter poll of the season. We've got three categories. You think about a quarterly report, you know, the type we, we just got done telling our listeners, we sucked in school. So our quarterly reports were always something we dreaded. <laughs> and they give you satisfactory, things that needed improvement, and things that were incomplete. What's something that you've seen over the first four weeks that you think fits the satisfactory column? I mean, I, I think you would still say the defense, even though Russell Wilson had a huge game against them a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is a defense that really, like we talked about at the start, slowed down Patrick Mahomes and company, obviously one of the tougher offenses you're going to face in the NFL today. And so I think, look, the defense is, you know, potentially as good as we thought it was going to be. I say potentially because, you know, we've, we've seen Belichick teams often start slow and you know, we've talked about this. So I'd say, yeah. If there's something that's satisfactory, it's the defense and perhaps Cam Newton and what he can bring to this offense and the potential for this offense going forward. Like Those are satisfactory parts of this team right now. And the offensive line. The offensive line, I think, is legit. Really? What is it about the offensive line that you like? Because I... Skarnakia. He's not even there. That's my point. They don't have Skarnakia. They don't. And look, last night you're talking about they've had, in their last three games, they've started three different combinations of guys up front. Last night you had Michael Wendu at right guard, Justin Heron at right tackle, two rookies. And for the most part, that offensive line was fine. It was not the problem last night. Certainly wasn't the problem against the Raiders, where I thought they had a fantastic game. And I thought they felt they fared pretty well against the Seahawks, particularly at the end of that game when they couldn't get close to Cam Newton. So the offensive line, I think, is very, very good. I have a friend at work who told me today that, and, and it, Kind of, it, it got my mind on this track of he's talking about why he's still scared of the Patriots. He goes, I know we have a two a two game lead. He goes, the thing that terrifies me about them is that game last night because they showed that they're still a physical football team. They still can win. Clo- they can still play a physical brand of football regardless of what's going on around the offense. Offense, defense, they can still get on you. They can still lay hits on defense. They can still get their offensive linemen to the second level and put a beating on you in that way. Would you agree with the fact that your offensive line is surpassing expectations given what you guys came into the season with? I think so because there were question marks in a couple of different areas. There were question marks about how they would look in a post-Skarnakia world. There were question marks about the center, David Andrews, and his health. Now, obviously, they've had him on the shelf the past two weeks with the thumb injury. So, you know, against the Raiders, you slide Joe Tooney there. Last night it was Kirk Ferenc who got the start at center while they moved Tooney back. 
you know, they, they've had to mix and match things. And even with all of that, even with those question marks and the moving guys around and pieces around, they've fared pretty well. So I think, yeah, in a sense, they have surpassed expectations because, you know, we thought in, in a best case scenario, they'd get David Andrews back and he'd sort of solidify things from the inside out. He's back on the shelf and they've still fared pretty well, even in his second sort of absence. Now, what are some things that when you look at, I mean, those passing numbers are dubious. <laughs> Needs improvement. Things that you've seen so far that just put a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, the passing game is certainly one. Um, they had some moments against the Seahawks, but it is most certainly a work in progress. And that's even with Cam Newton in the starting lineup. So the passing game and parts of that include the tight end production, which has been woeful. Um, receivers, really, because when they've clicked, you know, it, a lot of it has been out to the running backs out of the backfield and in the screen game. Um, so the passing game is a big work in progress. It's, you know, it's not where they want it to be right now. I'm sure they're not happy with it. I'm sure Josh McDaniels isn't happy with it. You know, that being said, it's just four games. You know, if, if they get a chance to sort of get that on track, it'd be nice to have because they have other ways they can beat you, but they're not a complete offense right now. Well, no, I mean, you're looking at a, <laughs> you're looking at a tight end group. Last year, one of the biggest things that hampered you guys on offense was lack oh, of tight end production. Last year, the tight end group. Your tight end group was terrible. So far, right now, I'm looking. I'm just looking at the advanced analytics for for receivers. You expect to see a tight end contribute a little bit in this offense. Through four games, you have a tight end. Ryan Izzo, he's got two first downs, yeah, and there isn't awesome. another tight end who's contributed at all. What's happening there? I mean, I think it's a combination of things. And, you know, I, I was as guilty of this as anybody um, in getting my hopes up about rookie tight ends because it's, 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 a, and we've, we talked about this pre draft, right? We did a show on yep. tight ends and how tough it is to leave the college world behind and be an NFL tight end because in the college game, you're asked to do like one thing, maybe chip on the edge maybe slice block on zone runs, but otherwise you're running routes. That's not life in the NFL as a rookie tight end. You have to be part offensive lineman, part wide receiver. It's a hard adjustment. Doubly hard in a Patriots offense that is sort of rediscovering itself and has so many moving parts to it. And so a lot of people, myself included, were talking ourselves up for some of these rookie tight ends, Devin on CSC and Dalton Keene. They just haven't been able to get there yet. And Ryan Izzo is a nice third tight end for most teams he should not be te1 but that's what he's asked to do right now and so yeah that it's a it's a problem right now they they thought we would get more from rookies they haven't got it yet and ryan Izzo is ryan Izzo. is there anything you would say is it's it's incomplete it's too soon to judge this early in the season i mean i i think the the, the thing that's probably too soon to judge, the thing that's incomplete is, and this is a staple of all Belichick teams, is this team as a whole. You know, Belichick has always sort of treated that preseason. We've talked about this, the first four games, as an extended preseason. He always wants his team to be playing their best football in December, not in October. Um, so, and especially in a COVID-19 world with no training camp and no preseason games, this was going to be an extended feeling out process. I think... They're 2-2, two and two, which is where most Patriots fans expected them to be when this season started. You look at that schedule, 
you know, you look at the game at Seattle, you look at the game at Kansas City, you think new quarterback, new system, no training camp, they're going to be two and two. Like if they're worse than two and two, we've got big problems. They're where we thought they would be. Now, if they lose to potentially Brett Rippon in the Denver Broncos this Sunday, <laughs> like we got bigger problems than just where we thought we would be. And so I, I think this team is where we thought it was going to be. It's right in line with expectations. And the team as a whole is just generally incomplete. It is a work in progress. Now, at the halfway point, we'll have a much better sense. I think if I were to sort of point at something and say there, this is incomplete right now, I would probably say the second level of the defense. Like, the secondary is nice. I think Chase Winovich and John Simon and Lawrence Guy and Adam Butler have showed you some stuff up front. But I continue to remain worried about that second level. The linebacker core, Juwan Bentley, did some. he had some moments against the Chiefs, but he's a liability in coverage. Um, Adrian Phillips has had some up and down moments. They've been using him as a linebacker. And so... Yeah, I mean, the second level of the defense, I think, is what I'd be saying is incomplete, and I want to see improvement from. Well, I, it sounds an awful lot like they're and typical of the Patriots to kind of walk into this season, Chris's most seasons, where you don't know what the Patriots are after the first month of football. How yeah. many years have we watched them start slow, and we say, okay, this is it, they're done, and then they ramp up as the season goes on? Yeah, I actually have that in the audio library. You calling WGR, the on to <laughs> Cincinnati. The you called in the uh, on to Cincinnati game. I called the death of the dynasty. Yeah, called Thank the you. death of the dynasty. So it's your fault. It's my fault. I did this, folks. If you want to, if you want to throw garbage at anyone when you see me walking down the street, it's my fault. I did this. So we're willing to give you guys an incomplete grade because we know what the makeup is here. What are two things between now and when we bring you back to do this in four weeks and talk about right. this? Because, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk before then, but between now and the next quarter poll, what are two things that you reasonably expect or reasonably believe will improve with this New England Patriots team? I do think the passing game will improve. I, I think between this Denver game and then a bye you know, they'll figure out ways to get Nikhil Harry involved more, what they can do with Julian Edelman, ways to get some sort of tight end production, ways to get production in the passing game outside of the screen game, which has basically been their bread and butter. And, yeah, some deep shots to Julian Edelman against Seattle. So I think they have some time to figure out the passing game, and they've got some chances to do it coming up. I mean, yes, Denver, not great. You know, they're not the best sort of team right now. They barely squeaked by the Jets on Thursday night. So, I mean, I don't think they're really scaring anybody. And then coming out of the bye, they've got San Francisco, and they seem to be a bit of a work in progress. But then staring them in the face is that Bills game. You know, that November 1 game, that post-Halloween game, that's going to be a massive measuring stick for this Patriots passing game because we know what that Bills defense can do. So they've got four weeks, in a sense, to figure it out, and the clock is ticking. Mr. Schofield, we enjoy your time. We enjoy you joining us. Where can our listeners enjoy the rest of your content and what you guys are doing over at Touchdown Wire? Um, do they have to? They don't have to. <laughs> they have to. No, I mean, it's, it's always a plan. It's a mandate. You can, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You can check out the Bird app and the videos I do over there and all that stuff. Uh, like you said, USA Today, Touchdown Wire, myself, Doug Farrar, doing chucklehead stuff all the time. But yeah, easiest way is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. As we keep things rolling, 
<laughs> I mean, this is this one. Buckle up, folks. Crack a fresh beer because this might be rough. We are talking quarterly reports around the division, and we have with us tonight our Jets correspondent, Mr. Scott Mason. Scott, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> It's always a good sign. It's like a maniacal uh, Batman could, laugh. Yeah, I was going to say, all I could do is maniacally laugh because that's pretty much what else can I say? <sighs> Just to run it back for you, Chris, and for our listeners who may not know, the Jets currently hold a 0-4 and four record. They stand fourth in the AFC East. I, you know, I've been looking at uh, distinctions, you know, stats of note. I tried to look at yours, but it was like staring into the abyss. It made my eyes burn. It was like smelling gasoline. <laughs> So when we're talking about the New York Jets, we're talking about quarterly reports and we have three different categories. Satisfactory, needs improvement, and incomplete. So with that in mind, there's probably not a whole lot that would show up on the New York Jets quarterly report under the satisfactory column. Am I, is, is it fair to speculate? I would say that's a fair thing to say there are a few players who have played well most of the team has not the coaching has not been good joe douglas who most of us still like has some questions to answer and ownership most of all probably is the least popular that it's been in any time i can remember which is an amazing thing to think about when you think about the history of the new york jets is there anything positive that you could <laughs> Anything positive. I mean, after that Thursday night football game, I get it. It's Bill O'Brien's available. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, so after that <laughs> Thursday night football game that saw you guys lose to the New York Jets, something that I've been waiting to pick your brain about because if there's – I'm going to go ahead and put one for you in this needs improvement column and that it's you guys need to improve not just the head coaching position, but it's your entire coaching staff. Greg Williams is a horse's ass for the things that went on in the aftermath of that game. What Did it make you feel slimy at all, watching that play out the way that it did, watching your defense take cheap shots at a quarterback after the, after the whistle and after the fact when a game's already been decided? Like, how, did, how do you feel as a Jets fan watching that play out? Everything about that sequence was bad, from Gase taking timeouts for no reason to Fangio then retaliating by having rip and drop back and throw downfield, to from there, whether it was Greg Williams who ordered it or not, Steve McClendon taking that cheap shot at Rippin. Ultimately, you have to remember that you're trying to hurt somebody when you do something like that, and obviously Greg Williams deserves no benefit of the doubt after what he's done over the years. It's just, man, like you said, the all the coaches really need to go. The only one I like is Brant Boyer the special teams coach, and even he has not had a great first quarter of 2020. This is probably the worst the Jets special teams have looked in a while. So, yeah, I would give almost everybody an F on the coaching staff. And as far as the players, Drew, I would say that Jamison Crowder, the two games he's been healthy, he's been really good. He was really good against the Bills, and he was really good this past week against Denver, but he's, he was hurt besides that. There have been some pleasant surprises. For instance, Jeff Smith, who just came off IR, was pretty good on Monday Night Football. 
I think Quentin Williams has started to really play well. He had another excellent game against the Broncos. Makai Becton, obviously, although he missed most of the last game and half of the game against the Colts, he's been really, really good. George Fant, right tackle, they signed from Seattle, who I was not a fan of, has been fairly solid, which for the Jets, I'll take at this point, especially on the offensive line. There have been guys like Brooks and Berrios on the margins who's been okay. But other than that, there just hasn't been much. John Franklin Myers, actually, I should mention on the defensive line, has been really, really good. He, <laughs> this is going to sound funny. He may be their best defensive player so far this year, and this is a guy that they signed off waivers last year and stashed on injured reserve all year until now. So you look at the rest of these guys, though. I mean, you tell me where you want to start, and I'll start sticking the daggers in because it is <laughs> ugly. Well, and I guess that's the thing is if we, Chris, he and I could sit here and just diatribe all night and bemoan the state of the New York Jets in 2020. Unfortunately, that would become like a planet Earth style documentary that and it's only been four games. That's how bad things have been in New York City. So New York City, let's face it, New New Jersey, it's New Jersey, Hoboken. But when I look at these statistics, now that I've got them up in front of me, I have a beer in my hand, so it's a little bit more palatable to do so. I'm taking a look at where you guys stand around the league, and I'm seeing that there's... You guys are in the high 20s for most things, if you're talking about league rankings. Whether it's rush defense, rush offense. I mean, passing yards, you are 32nd in the NFL. And that shouldn't come as a shock to anybody, given how Darnold's played. Darnold's up and down. Now Darnold's hurt. There's just so much that has really gone wrong for you guys. So it sounds like you guys have a whole lot of stuff. I mean, you guys are that kid. If we're giving out quarterly reports, you're the kid waiting by the mailbox just hoping. Just hoping you can snag yours before your parents get their hands on it, right? (laughs) Claim it got lost in the mail. It's a fair way to put it, Drew. I think if you look at this team, the saddest part here is that As you said, they're not just bad on offense. They're bad on defense. They're bad on special teams. They're terrible everywhere. They haven't even been competitive with the exception, I guess, of this Thursday night game against a decimated Broncos team that was traveling across the country and was playing with a practice squad quarterback practically in Brett Rippon. But if you look at the the roster, I think the saddest part here, in addition to the, the fact that there are very few guys on this team that you think could be here three years from now. If somebody put a gun to my head and said, bet money on who's going to be here in three years, the only two guys that I can tell you for sure are Quinnen Williams and Mekhi Becton at this point. But the tragedy of it all, as you guys know, and you just alluded to it, is Sam Darnold. And it's really sad because we can blame anybody that we want to be a gase, we can blame Mike McCagney, the former general manager. If you want to blame Todd Bowles, Joe Douglas, Jeremy Bates, the man on the moon, doesn't matter. Whoever it is you want to blame. The fact that Darnold went from this incredibly promising quarterback at a USC who finished really strong in 2018 and looked like he was poised for a breakout in 2019 to what we're seeing now, Michael Nania, I think, said it best, and you guys will appreciate this one more than most. Sam Darnold now looks like 2018 Josh Allen. And it's really scary that after three years, that's how he's performing. If you watch the tape, people will talk about how he has no weapons. And I suppose that's true. But the problem is the guys that they do have are getting open and Darnold's not seeing them or he's not hitting them or he's not looking at them. 
He has happy feet in the pocket. Even on that touchdown run, look, it's great that it worked out, but you go back and look at the tape, and he had two open receivers that he could have gotten the ball off to before he basically put himself in that position where he had no choice but to run. And then you take a look, of course, at the fact that his mechanics are still terrible. And just everything's gone wrong. Now, you still see from time to time those flashes that play again. Uh, but to t- the touchdown of Brexton Berrios in week two is the best example of that against the 49ers. Almost no other quarterback in the league can make that throw. There's maybe three quarterbacks in the league can make that throw. The problem is that's not the norm for him. And once you've gotten to the point where you've had this many starts and you're this bad, the road to actually being good is almost completely blocked out. It's been talked about before, but Alex Smith is pretty much the only example. And even Alex Smith is fine, but he's not great. You could talk about Drew Brees too, but the fact is now the Jets are in a position where the talent roster is terrible, the coaching is terrible, and the one real bright light that you thought this team was going to have for the next decade or so, it looks like we may be about to see that fire extinguished. This is about as dejected as I've ever seen the Jets fan base because now they have to start all over again after they had had to start all over again before that. How many times can you keep selling the fan base on, well, all right, this time we mean it, before people just stop paying attention? It's really... Just uh, you guys went through this with Buffalo. You've seen it too. It's just awful. As I say, how do you keep doing it? Ask Buffalo Sabres fans. <laughs> hey yo, shout at the hockey team because they're bad. I think we can both. I think you'd agree with this. This is a fair assessment of the week four grade of the New York Jets. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. <laughs> I don't think it can get any worse than that. It's it's appropriate. With that in mind. They're an F-minus right now. Over the next four weeks, until we get together to do this again, talk about where you stand in quarter, you know, where you stand at the second quarter poll of the season. What are two things? Two things. Because you can't fix, you, know, you can't swallow a whale hole. Okay? You got to do it bite by bite. What are two things that you think or can reasonably expect to improve between now and then, or at least are reasonably hope, hopeful will improve? The two things that I'm really looking for is I want to see something out of Denzel Mims, and hopefully that would improve the passing game at least a little bit. I want to hopefully get a look at Mims and see what he can do in his rookie year. I'm unfortunately starting to get Devin Smith vibes there in terms of not so much that he's going to be a bust, but if you recall, Devin Smith was hurt almost his entire rookie season and ended up not doing much. I'm afraid that might be what ends up happening with Mims because what started out as – an injury to the hamstring in training camp that was supposed to be no big deal and he'll be back in a few days has now morphed into is he's coming off IR or supposed to after week five, but how healthy is he? And the other thing I would say is I would like to see the rest of the draft picks that the Jets have made start to get healthy and at least attempt to show us something the rest of this year because I think I told you guys this the last time I was on but the only player on this team that was drafted in the 2020 draft out of nine picks that has been fully healthy the entire season is the punter Braden Mann who was picked in the sixth round 
The oh, other eight guys, you look at Becton, he just missed almost all of the last game and half of the game before that. Denzel Mims hasn't played yet. He got hurt early in training camp. Then you have Jabari Zaniga, who has been on IR. Ashton Davis played in the first game. Not that you would know it because he's barely on the field. Now he's injured. You go into the fourth round. Captain Morgan, James Morgan, he hasn't been hurt because he's the fifth string quarterback or whatever. So he's not going to see the light of day. But the other picks, Michael P. Ryan just came off of uh, injury two, uh, about a week ago. Then you have Cam Clark, who's been on injured reserve. You go into the fifth round, Bryce Hall. Now, to be fair, Bryce Hall, they picked knowing that he was already hurt. And the reason he slipped to the fifth is because he was already hurt. But still, he's been on IR. So we've seen virtually nothing from these rookies, with the exception of the punter, Brayden Mann, and a game, uh, excuse me, two and a half games of Makai back. Are you guys, running, are you guys uh, running a football team or a mash unit over there? What the <laughs> hell is going on? I, but I asked that question, and I already know the answer. This has been something that has followed Adam Gase his whole career. We talked about it with our friend Bang, uh, Dr. Kyle Trimble of bangedupbills.com. There are teams that prepare, and there's teams that don't. And they're, the difference between teams with a, a Dom Capers and I th- whoever was running the New York Jets, it was when Dom Capers was running the Houston Texans. And when you looked at their, he brought two training manuals to us. And he said, here's one that here's your health, nutrition, and training manual for Team A. And it was 49 pages. And then here's manual for Team B. And it was 14. 14 compared to 49 front and back pages. And the difference in injuries between those two teams couldn't have been more dramatic. Adam Gase has had these problems follow him everywhere he goes. If it happens to you once, you can call a guy snake bit. If it happens twice, you can call a guy just unlucky. But when it's happening every single season that you're a head coach, the problem is probably you. It's you, it's your staff, and it's the way you approach the game of football and prepare your players. In the next four weeks, we're going to learn a lot about the young guys on your team, and hopefully this trend doesn't continue. So with that in mind, why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming up? As you, I, I actually really enjoyed the uh, it, uh, your latest podcast, the group discussion. <laughs> why don't you tell, oh, don't you tell the listeners a little bit about it and what else you have coming up over at Play Like a Jet? <laughs> yeah, so the one you're talking about, that's there's always next year with Brian Bassett <laughs> and his co-hosts are Travis Milton, who's a chef in Tennessee, and Josh Conrad, who's a pastor in, in Connecticut. And they, they're funny because, man, Travis just went on a riff that you're talking about for about 15 minutes. He was telling a story about how he was in a Little Caesars, and all he wanted was cheesy bread. He went in there just to get cheesy bread, and the guy right in front of him got nine cheesy breads and bought them all out of cheesy bread. And he was ready to start a rumble right there. So that, <laughs> that combined, as I, as I like to say with, with their show, uh, you come for the Jets talk and you stay for the angry rants and the funny stories. So that one's up right now. We got the post game with Andy Vasquez from NJ.com, uh, excuse me, from uh, NorthJersey.com. And word of warning, we taped that one at about two in the morning after everything wrapped up on Thursday night. And I love Andy to death, but he was defending the decision to keep Adam Gase. <laughs> and I was really not in the mood for it. So you're going to hear a little bit contentiousness there but andy joins after all of those chris nimbly is on for the mailbag i'll tell you what what all jess fans and even bills fans will appreciate charlie campbell from walterfootball.com comes on once a week and gives us a draft report with a stock update 
And that's good for Bills fans, too, because he's constantly talking about that second pick that the Jets have, that the, C- the Seahawks pick. And so that is probably not going to be far off from where the Bills pick. So you might want to get an idea of some of the prospects that could be in play for the Bills. Your old friend Joe Blewett breaks down the film. Michael Nania breaks down the statistics. Nish Mehta comes on for the midweek news report. We do the mailbag in the pregame. And some betting tips, Chris Nimbley and Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com. And then every week we alternate it, and, and you guys are going to be coming. i got to talk to you guys and finalize when we're going to do it. But before the next Jets-Bills game, you guys will come on, and we'll talk a little Jets-Bills. So this week uh, we're going to have Cameron Cox, who's a TV guy over in Arizona, to talk about what the Jets have in store for them, and we do that every week. So, yeah, full dance card despite the fact that there's a lot of frowns right now. And you can, of course – Follow me at Play Like a Jet One on Twitter, or you can download the podcast anywhere where you can find podcasts. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So as we bring it out of break, we continue the AFC East quarterly reports with our friend, Dolphins fan extraordinaire, Mr. Elf Artiaga. How are you tonight, sir? Good, good. We are, you know, we're, we're just a few hours away from your heat kicking off game three. What is this now? Game four? Game, game four, four of the NBA Finals. Something that's been hotly contested on Twitter because people, there's basketball fans out there who think that basketball drives more ratings than any other sport. Someone said that they the NBA draft would have a hard time competing with Bill's Chiefs. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I think it's it has to do a lot with... Uh, their partners, ESPN and TNT spent the entire year trashing their product, and then they wonder why they don't get the you know the, the viewership that other leagues get. All you got to do is watch NFL Network and watch them promote all the teams, all the players, promote all the quarterbacks, and try to get people to watch the product. That's why they could get big crowds. I mean, big big audiences for Broncos Jets because they, they'll promote Sam Darnold and people will be like, oh, let me watch Sam Darnold. But if you watch NBA promotion, they promote three guys. It's LeBron, it's Kawhi, and then they'll throw in some Giannis just because he won MVP, you know, because, my God, you know, you have to talk about the guy that wins the MVP, you know? It's funny. if you For, for being an outsider who doesn't really watch a ton of NBA basketball, it's hilarious to me that the, the big, the, the talk of it all was the kid from Duke, the kid who went number one overall. Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson. And then mm-hmm. almost immediately he disappeared. Like I get it, he was hurt, but also they've stopped talking. Like you, even when he came back from his injury, you didn't hear about him anymore. 
and he came back from his injury and he was great <laughs> and nobody would ever talk about him it's like you forget and then, and then you you see them that you see these guys on espn and tnt they're like surprised that jamal murray is actually like really really good and i'm like where have you been for the last four years that guy's been developing <laughs> and, and then they're like oh tyler hero has just come onto the scene no he's had 30 point games during the regular season if you bothered to pay attention you know Nah, you know what, though? There's some football teams, too, that feel that way. Luckily for us, the NFL has done such a great job of developing things. Speaking of developing things, the Miami Dolphins, the AFC East Development Project of 2020. We're looking at you guys as you currently stand. With the, You're just coming off a loss to the Seahawks that, honestly, I kept seeing the score tick across the bottom of the screen. And I, I'm thinking to myself... I'm waiting for the blowout, and it didn't seem like it was coming until the... I mean, the box score doesn't do justice to how close that game really was. Did you feel watching it that you guys had a chance to win that? Yes, until we kicked that last field goal to make it 17-15. Because as soon as we made it 17-15, I thought to myself, we're not going to beat this this team kicking field goals all day. And after watching the All-22, you could see why we lost the game. It's... You know, the good comes with the bad with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that was the bad on Sunday. He missed a lot of guys, and those two turnovers were killers. <sighs> Ryan Fitzpatrick, he, we talk about it all the time, Chris, about him turning into a pumpkin at midnight. Sometimes it takes whole seasons. Sometimes it only takes a few games. Unfortunately, that is the enigma that is Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. So now your Miami Dolphins sit with a 1-3 and record, currently third in the AFC East. When we're talking about quarterly reports, I know I hated mine when I was a kid. They were coming in. <laughs> I tried to hide them from my parents. With the Miami Dolphins, I don't feel like your quarterly report is really that bad. I mean, if we were to break this down into things that are satisfactory and things that need improvement, under satisfactory, I guess my biggest question as an outsider, the coaching staff. The big question, Flores in year two, now that he's got real pieces to work with and a real NFL roster, what was he going to do with it? How was he going to help these guys gel? In your eyes, which of these two categories does that coaching fall under? I would say the developmental side has been pretty damn good. I think the X's and O's on game day has been spotty at best. Chan Gailey, oddly enough, has been okay. He's he's called pretty interesting games and he's kept the team with some creative some some creative route combinations. And I really like the way he calls a running game. So, you know, he's he's kept the team afloat for the most part because if you notice all these games, the defense tends to just give it away in the last five minutes. And while the offense is, is bringing it close or in, Buff, in the Buffalo game's case, you know, taking the lead late in that game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, aside from as far as like overall, pre- you know, preparing the team, that first game against the, the Patriots was an abomination. The rest of the games, you know, as expected. You played Buffalo close. You lost to Seattle. You beat Jacksonville. All of that was expected. <laughs> so is it fair to say then, then Chris, maybe that's where we, we chalk up an incomplete. Because what you're talking about is one side of the ball that showed up and one that hasn't. We're four weeks in and we still got a lot of football ahead of us. But it's not really clear where we stand on that with the Miami Dolphins this year. What are some other things that you like? I mean, I'm looking at some of your rankings and some of the statistics so far this season. You guys are currently eighth in passing touchdowns allowed. That's, given the injuries and given the things that I've seen, I mean, that, that seems like a pretty, that seems pretty promising, right? 
Well, the, the the problem with the the pass defense is that they don't know what they want to do yet. They they started the season off as a as a predominantly man man to man team, and now they're mixing in a bunch of zone. And Baron Jones has now missed three games already. So you know your biggest piece hasn't played, and then uh, the other big piece that we have, Xavier Howard is coming off his worst game. I know he had an interception in the end zone against Russell Wilson. So everybody watches that and nobody realizes that he gave up 133 yards on six catches. Jeez. So, you know, he was bad. So I don't know. It's It's been uneven and, you know, the successes have been spotty so far. But the thing about this team is that they always promise to be better as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. The only evidence we have is last year where they were that. They did get better as the season goes on. So if they're going to get better off of this, then they should be a pretty good team toward the end of the year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, eighth best in passing touchdowns. That's not anything to sneeze at. And on the opposite side of the ball, there's some other things to work with here that I was able to just dredge up from numbers and watching a little bit of film. According to Football Outsiders, you guys have the best pass protection protection ranking in the AFC East. Does that surprise you to hear that based on what you've seen? And do you think the offensive line, in your eyes, do they get a satisfactory or an unsatisfactory mark? No, nah, the the offensive line, I would give them, you know, A-pluses uh, across the board, except for Jesse Davis, who's, who's coming off a pretty bad game against Seattle. Jesse Davis just finished having one of those days against Seattle. But Austin Jackson has been good. He's been good all year. He hasn't allowed a sack. He's allowed one pressure. He did get injured in the Seattle game, but he did come back to finish the game. Now he's questionable for this week, so we'll see if he plays against San Francisco. Solomon Kinley is, you know, he's he's a budding star. He's fun to watch. He kills people for sixty minutes, <laughs> you know. And like I said before on a previous on one of your one of the previous ones we've done of these is that you know it's impressive to see a guy that's three hundred and forty five pounds play with that much energy and that much effort all game. And especially in the Miami Heat. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very satisfied with the offensive line, realizing that, yeah, we have guys that we are going to replace going forward. Like Ted Karras is not for long, and Jesse Davis is not for long. Oh, Jesse Davis. I feel like he's – he's this it has to be his what? He somehow survived the Gase era, yes. I feel like, and slipped into this one. And I, I feel like he's the odd man out. He's the one who sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Yeah, because the thing is that he's like wallpaper. Like, you never realize it's there, but it's always there. And the only time you realize is when you look at it and you're like, man, that is ugly. Let me take that off the wall and paint it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 point is coming soon. It's probably this season because, remember, we have his his, uh, replacement waiting in the wings in Robert Hunt. Okay, so you have some young guys in the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I, we saw all the rookies. We talked about it in the run-up to this season, that all of your backups are, are rookies primarily. But that's not exactly a bad thing, because that means as long as you guys have drafted well, those can be moldable pieces of clay that aren't going to get you hurt in the, in, the, in the current time, and you can develop them quietly behind the scenes before you throw them into the fire. Now, speaking of that, and I guess this is one of these things that I need to know what your feelings are on it, the quarterback play of the Miami Dolphins through four weeks. Satisfactory, needs improvement, or incomplete? What kind of a grade, what column would you throw that under? Needs needs improvement. Uh, he's played, he played well against Buffalo, I felt. He played terrible against New England, and he was good against Jacksonville, and he was awful against Seattle. 
So as that makes the, them two and two as, <laughs> as far as performances. As is the Ryan so, Fitzpatrick experience. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's an uneven experience. And against Seattle, we really felt when we started the podcast. I asked, you know, I asked my my co-host, uh, Chris Kaufman, asked him, is there like, was, was there, is there 15 quarterbacks we could have thrown in there in place of Ryan Fitzpatrick and beaten the Seahawks this weekend? And he said, yeah. And then I told him, if we had Dak Prescott, would we have won that game by two touchdowns? And he said, yeah. And it's there in the All-22. You know, he's he's missing people. People are popping open and he's just missing them. So I guess with that in mind, you know, in the intro to tonight's show, we played a clip. Chris, Pat McAfee was discussing when would you start Tua if you're on this trajectory? Because you're what, one and three with with Fitz and you're already seeing Herbert light it up in Los Angeles. You're already seeing Joe Burrow being successful. And so I think from the national media, you'll get uh, well if these two are successful, then that must mean Tua Tonga Viola will be successful. Well, and I guess my thing is now hearing you talk about it, this is a perfect time to bring it up. This idea that you need improvement from your quarterback after just four weeks. You've seen enough of the Ryan Fitzpatrick show to know that this is the guy who is probably capable of giving you exactly what he gave you last year, which is five wins. Five to six, that's probably his ceiling as the quarterback of this football team. So if you've clearly put quarterback in the needs improvement column, then the question becomes, how soon do we see Tua Tagovailoa start to get some opportunities to get out there on the field? Well, the questions already have started because he was already asked if, if Tua's going to start this week against San Francisco and Flores uh, hemmed and hawed. And then finally he came out this morning and he said that Ryan Fitzpatrick will start this Sunday. Now, if he plays badly on Sunday, I would be shocked if Tua is not out there the following week against the Broncos. I just, I, I would just be shocked because See, what's the point? Well, I, then what is the point? And so, as a, and I guess driving this narrative is to to what you said earlier. You're seeing as you're breaking down the film and you're doing all these things. You're seeing players coming open. You're seeing the Changili's offensive scheme is actually working, and it's. That quarterback spot that seems to be holding everything back. Is that right? Yeah, because uh, the best quarterbacks don't leave any stone unturned, for lack of a better phrase, right? Like the best quarterbacks have six opportunities in the game, and they take advantage of all six, right? The, the, the bad quarterbacks have like six opportunities in the game and take advantage of one. That's who Ryan Fitzpatrick is right now. If you watch that game, Russell Wilson, every single mistake our secondary made, he made a play. And our defense was competing with Russell Wilson. We made a sack on fourth and two to stop one drive. We intercepted him in the end zone. So we were battling him. But whenever we made a mistake, he capitalized. That that play right before the half, 57-yard completion down the sidelines, that was kind of a blown coverage. But it was also a lack of confidence in, in us in Noah Benagane looking at Russell Wilson and thinking, okay, he can't make this throw over my head. And sure enough, Russell Wilson makes the throw 51 yards through the air, going to his left, which maybe three quarterbacks. You have one of them, by the way, that can make that throw. So, you know, it's, it's, that's the thing about quarterbacks, man. If, if all those opportunities are there and you don't take advantage of almost none of them, then what's the point? You can put almost anybody there and they'll do the same thing. So through four weeks, Alf, you've watched this football team play. 
you had expectations. You kind of knew what your expectations were coming into the season. So relative to those expectations, what kind of a, what's the grade that you would assign to this team so far? And what are two things that you're looking for tangible improvement on over the next four weeks? Yeah, they're, they're a C right now. Tangible improvement is fulfill the promise of what you picked up this offseason. You loaded up a secondary, and there's little evidence right now that they couldn't withstand an onslaught from the likes of Josh Allen or Russell Wilson down the stretch. And that's what you, you got them there for. I understand that Byron Jones is not out there, but you still have enough talent on in the rest of that group. So I would expect better pass defense going forward. The guys that he picked up, to, he's picked up the, his play as of late, Emmanuel Ogba. But the guys you picked up to help the pass rush, I would expect them to start getting to the quarterback. And this part is, is, is on Chan Gailey. Use Matt Breda more because Jordan Howard, he just, he's not going to have, he's not going to cut it. And Miles Gaskin, he's a nice player, but he is who he is. He's a backup running back. He's just going to get you what's there and not much else. Perfect. All right. Well, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your yard work series, where they can find you guys on Twitter, where they can interact with you. Okay, the, the podcast is Three Yards Per Carry. You can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Podbeam, anywhere, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere. Now, the Yardwork series, you can find that on the Five Reasons Sports Network's YouTube account. It drops every week. I break down six, seven plays from the previous week's game, and I break it down in detail, and people will have really enjoyed that. All right, go follow Alf Schofield. And Scott Mason, all on Twitter, they do a great job covering the teams that they cover. <laughs> Although I would... That might be the... Do- covering the teams... That they cover. That they cover. Exactly. Analyze. Analyze. Maybe use a little... N- n- not going to say it. Ooh. Because Owl Mountain can get bent and he's going to owe me one of those Calypso coolers. Now, I want to talk more about this Tua situation. When is the right time? How is it not? How is that not the right time? Well, listen. Think about this. You have a ca- a case can be made for either option here for the Miami Dolphins. I'm as an Alabama fan. I'm interested in seeing what Tua is because there's a part of me that fears for him, just given his injury history, and I feel like that may play a giant role in the team's decision to continue letting him sit out. Because you heard Elf talk about it. Jesse Davis took a beating in pass protection. Just took a beating. You don't want your rookie out there behind a line that looks suspect as if they can't keep him safe. With an injury history like his, both ankles, he's had surgery on both ankles and a major surgery on his hip. He's not a guy who you want taking shots. So in this way, you have to protect him at least until you know that your offensive line has been developed enough that they can keep him safe. And that he understands, and I think this may be the thing that no one, except for those behind the scenes who see practice, are really going to know. And I guess this is, no one's going to know what he looks like on the practice field. Because when it comes to keeping him safe, it's not just about the offensive line. It's about his understanding of the offense It's about his understanding of how to find guys who are open, how to get the ball away quickly, when to throw the ball away to avoid contact. All of these things play a role. If anything, I think the longer that it takes for them to find time for Tua to play, I think that says more about his development than it does about them as a team seeing what they have, quote-unquote. Well, when was the last time we had a rookie quarterback sit all season? (laughs) 
Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. The guy that won the Super Bowl last year. And that's fair. See, yeah. that's what I mean. There's a case to be made for playing him, which dude, Pat McAfee and his show were talking about. Yeah. There's also a case to say, look, this team isn't perfect yet. Let's let him sit and marinate for a while because he's not quite ready. Yeah. Just think about this. the risk reward long term. Think about that. Long, if, if you're Brian Flores and your plan is to be the coach of this team for a long time, you're only four weeks into your second NFL season. You have a five-year deal. Yep. Do you want to rush your hopefully franchise quarterback out there now, destroy him physically, when your team isn't even built to compete? Yeah. Or you can wait until the season's over, stroll into that NFL draft with two top ten picks. Oh, they're gonna oh with the Texans? <laughs> oh my god. And you can The fact that they have that pick! It's an abomination. It shouldn't happen. They're gonna be drafting twice in the top fifteen, Chris. Yeah, you can get two linemen. Their GM, Greer, is going to walk into that draft doing the Vince McMahon walk. Just the... Yeah. Or the Conor McGregor walk that he stole from Vince McMahon. And then he's going to leave the draft like Randy March from South Park (laughs) with his balls in a wheelbarrow. (laughs) Ultimately, there isn't a right answer to this. I think it comes down to his development. I think that as we see this, I know that they're talking about the bye week as a good time. If by the bye week... He isn't ready, and they come out of that bye week, and he's not ready to go. I would argue that you don't play him this year because if he hasn't developed enough, and that line hasn't developed enough, that you trust him, just put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf, and work to develop your skill players. I think that's one of the more disappointing things about the Dolphins this year. They have very few real threats. They have Devontae Parker, first round pick. They have Mike Gusecki, who's starting to break out. They have Preston Williams, and beyond the three of them, they have no real consistent contributors in offense. This is your time to start to groom these players and figure out who you have and who needs to be replaced. I just feel like that's got to be where your onus is, not rushing your rookie quarterback out there to potentially get destroyed. Yeah, there's one thing that you could probably do a whole podcast episode on this. But it's what's the right way to get your quarterback? Do you draft him first? Like, if the Jets were to move off Darnold, they don't have anything outside of Becton. So do you get a quarterback and then pieces, or do you get pieces and then get your quarterback? perfect example. Do you take that number one overall pick if you're the Jets? There's already questions about Lawrence coming to play for your team at all. Do you take that first overall pick? And do you parlay that in a trade to some other franchise for a boatload of capital? And then use those as the building blocks that you then start to build the foundation of your hopefully NFL-relevant team. But Houston doesn't have enough draft capital. (laughs) You wouldn't be able to trade with Houston. They don't have any picks. Or they just fired Bill O'Brien. I mean, Bill O'Brien was the second coming of Al Davis as a GM. Like, that's what happened. He L. Davis that franchise, and it's ugly. And the aftermath is still hysterical to me. But ultimately, we're going to be paying close attention to that development down in Miami because I think it bears watching, and I think that it that could, more than anything, dictate what Miami's future looks like as this season winds on. But obviously, we saved the best for last, folks. We're here to talk about the Buffalo Bills. We still have to grade them. We sit here with a 4-0 record. We are first place in the division with a two-game lead. 
Man, we have two games, baby. We haven't been able to say that since the eighties. <laughs> when I take a look at our body of work, there's some rankings and stats that jump out to me. First of all, our quarterback. Top 10 in the NFL for completion percentage. Something no one. If there's anybody out there who walks up to me and says, oh, I told you that Josh Allen could be this accurate, I will slap the face off of your face to quote Greg Thompson from Cover 1. He's also second in passing yards. We are also the sixth most penalized team in the NFL in terms of overall yardage. We also have the 28th ranked rushing offense. But we're number one in the AFC, not just the AFC East, in the AFC, and we're number two in the entire NFL in first half scoring with 19 points per game, yet dropped to 28th in the NFL in third quarter scoring. Chris, three categories, satisfactory, needs improvement, and incomplete. What's something you think the Jet, the, the Bills have done well over the course of this first four games. Something that gets gets the conversation started in a positive direction. How could you not start with Josh Allen? He made, okay. a, he made a leap from one to two, and he's made a leap from his second year to his third year. And now we, we talked about it last week, him being the number one quarterback in this division. Yeah. Like he's earned that right. Yeah, he's earned his $100 million contract already. As we discussed in this past week's, this week's Rock Pile Report podcast, Dable is hitting his stride. This time last year, I googled it today just to, just out of curiosity. In an article from October of 2019, the headline from the Buffalo News Sports section read, "Dale's play calling called into question after ugly Bills loss." Now, if you look around, the only articles about Brian Dable you can find are about how how the hell are the Bills going to keep him on the staff because he's a dark horse for the head coaching interview circuit. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It's lunacy. The guy literally went from being one of the most beleaguered offensive coordinators in the NFL last year to now being talked about as, well, how do we replace this guy? Uh, he's he's definitely going to get a job somewhere. How did we end up here, Chris? Uh, it's It's fairly simple. The work of Josh Allen. Now, it's not like Josh Allen coming out of college was this can't-miss prospect. He needed to be coached up, and he is getting it. Whether you want to credit Dable or whether you want to credit Jordan Palmer for it, Josh Allen is getting coached up, and that's what other franchises are going to look at. The development of a quarterback that everybody pegged as a bust to now being top of the league. Well, one of the things that can't be undersold is Ken Dorsey. Yeah, if we lost Daybold, Dorsey wouldn't get the call. I'd see, I question that. But he, he, neither here nor there. We can go down that rabbit hole for an hour and a half on our own. I think that the crazy thing about this season so far through four weeks is that we're watching our coordinator and our quarterback form this symbiotic relationship that because of the leaps and bounds that he's made mechanically, and then he's made in terms of processing speed and all of the additional skill players that were added by our GM, we've morphed into one of the most dangerous offenses in the NFL. Lunacy. I never thought we would be here. Yeah, because it goes back to my 
chocolate chip cookie thing I've been well, doing. It does. Think about this. We have all these pieces, and Dable can do you remember be last, creative. Do you remember last year when Isaiah McKenzie was by snap? I don't like that guy. By snap count was our de facto wide receiver three. This year, with the addition of Davis and Diggs, the Bills have four wide receivers all getting more than 50% of the offensive snaps. Underscoring just how much Dable's been able to open up the playbook. Four wide receivers, Chris. Oh, I'll hang my hat on that all year. Like, <laughs> the fact that I called it in the preseason and talked about how important it would be to open up to four wide receivers because the teams that used it more often found success on a fairly regular basis. We're seeing that. I mean, he no longer has to be married to 11 personnel. We... Th- 70% of our passing plays last year were out of this three wide receiver set with a subpar third wide receiver. Now, you're watching him open up our offense to where we can create all kinds of mismatches. Like the Gabe Davis touchdown pass on Sunday against the Raiders. That's a byproduct of a rookie cornerback trying to cover our fourth wide receiver. Also a rookie. It's what you do in college. You spread a team out and you try to say, okay, where is... That guy's got talent, that guy's got talent, but you know who doesn't have talent is that fourth guy. I want to put him on the field, and I want to make him make a tough choice because he's a rookie, he's not good, and I bet you he's going to pick wrong. And if he does, it's going to give us a shot. And that's exactly what developed. They put the cornerback in a compromising, he had conflicting responsibilities on the play. And because he hesitated for just a second, Davis is gone. Davis is off to the corner of the end zone with the ball in his hands. We haven't seen that. I mean, we discussed at length in our Bill-centric show from yesterday, the addition of play-action passing and those spread concepts has made our offense incredibly lethal by freezing opposition's linebackers and safeties. Giving Allen more time to go through his reads, Allen's leading the league, or at least up near, I think now he's in the top three, in time to throw. Some of that's the job the offensive line's doing, but some of that's just the play design and the fact that when you incorporate to send the house on you, Sounds about right. Remember those passing ranks we talked about in the offseason? The Buffalo Bills passing ranks for the last decade? Yeah. We only had one ranked higher than 16th over the course of that time span. And the rest of them were, Chris, that's middle of the road. Literally, middle of the road for the NFL. And the rest of them, we couldn't get out of the, out of the high 20s. And right now, we are the second best passing offense in football. If Allen can stay healthy... This might be the, at the quarter point of the season, this has to be the best thing to come out of this, right? I would believe so. So now we get to the part where, you know, you get to the part of the report where your parents are probably like, okay, hey, we're going to start off with the good things. And then we're going to kind of ease into the things that suck because we don't want to waterboard our child with, you know, (laughs) you don't want them to tune out. I don't know, Chris. I don't know how I'll handle it when Jack gets his first negative report. Do you talk about the good things first and then kind of work the bad things in from the back end? Or do you hit him with the negative thing up front and then soften the blow with some positive things afterwards? If you got a report of Jack doing something wrong, you will. I could see you reading that report like Jack did this. And you would look at him like, how is biting somebody a negative? What did that kid do? <laughs> what did that, did that kid antagonize my kid? Well, then absolutely that's why he got bit. 
Because <laughs> that kid, that other kid, was being an asshole. And, I, and because Thank God I've for taught, my wife. yeah, and because I've taught Jack well, you know, when somebody steps to you, <laughs> you go lower. You you just you just keep digging until you get to a point where you're so low they won't follow you. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. Well, that's pretty much where the Bills. Uh, that's where the Bills' rushing attack is. Let me let me look at this. Needs improvement. There's no way this team is going to be a consistent contender over the course of the next 12 weeks or at least 12 games if they can't find a way to run the football. The Bills are last in the AFC East in rushing attack. Not just not just last. That's not even the most insulting part of it. We are 26 spots behind the New England Patriots. 26. They're the second ranked in the NFL. We are nine spots behind the one in three Dolphins. We're three spots behind the fucking Jets! How's that possible? How did we get here? What is happening? Oh, I know. Maybe Zach Moss being injured. We don't trust TJ Yeldon. I mean, this team has got to get better in terms of rushing the ball, or our offense is going to be horrifically one-dimensional. And when you get into games against the league's better defenses and better coaches, they're going to key on that. They're going to figure you out. I mean, the answer is, I don't know, Chris. How the, I get the question is, how do you do it? I've got a handful of ideas. First of all, Moss's health and development. That's going to be... I think they we're seeing it now that they banked on Moss a lot. Because without him being available, they don't trust Yeldon. All that talk about him being a... Pot- uh, Three down back. Uh, but I don't think our offense is built for that quote-unquote bell cow back it is a backfield by committee where people are getting and that, 10 to everybody's getting 10 carries a game and that's what it was built to be and unfortunately with the injury to moss you're seeing they don't trust tj eldon so you're watching singletary try to be a bell cow back and i even as impressed as i was you know talking we talked about it in the rock bell report is Impressed as I was with his play on Sunday, even though it didn't show up in the box score, that's not going to win you most games because that was a bad run defending team. Albeit they did get back some of their key pieces at linebacker, but that's a bad run defending team. So you against your better units, the Steelers, the Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, you're going to have to be able to move the ball on the ground or else they're going to flood the field with safeties and they're going to blanket you in zone coverage and it's really going to hurt what you're able to do from an offensive standpoint. We saw some of that, as we talked with Schofield earlier, we saw some of that in that Patriots game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Our offensive line is currently ranked 25th in run blocking by football outsiders. Now, that lack of success, you and I have been questioning why this shuffle keeps happening on the offensive line. I think that answers your question right there. Yeah. And will it keep being shuffled when we get the return of Feliciano? Well, that's the thing. I mean, right now you're talking about Feliciano and Winters both missing time to injury. It sounds an awful lot like we're going to get another look at Spain and Ford manning the guard spots on Sunday. The knock on Spain, not for nothing, was never related to his pass protection. He was always a very good pass protecting offensive guard. It was always his run blocking. 
one year he'd be decent, one year he'd be terrible, and finally the Titans said, look, if we're building a run-first offense, we don't need a guard who's suspect. We need a guard who can come out here and be a hammer for us. So they let Spain walk. In his first season with the Bills, he did very well in run blocking. This season, he's fallen off a cliff in that regard, which is how he fell out of favor with this team. And you saw some of that on Sunday when he was asked to come in the game because you watch him not able to really... For a guy his size, you'd expect him to play with more physicality, and he just doesn't. He's hard to get around in pass pro, but he doesn't move people the way that you'd expect a guy that size to. And now, we're stuck. Chris, there's no there's no cavalry coming anytime soon. If Winters misses a lot of time with that knee, even a, even a week or two, Feliciano won't be back until at least November by the time he's in game shape and ready to actually get on a football field and play. I don't know how our offensive line gets any better in terms of run offense. I mean, they're going to keep shuffling this around, I think, until they find a solution. Is there anything, Chris, that you think is still too early to grade? Still too early to form a fully fleshed out opinion one way or the other on something we could throw in the incomplete column? Not really. I don't. You think so? You think you definitively know everything about this team and who they are? No, I. Well, I mean injuries from at least injuries from the, that Raider game you know what's the deal with Levi Wallace that's a concern because then you just leave Josh Norman out there CB2 uh, Matt Milano injury he's what week to week so your boy AJ Klein gonna be in coverage I think if AJ there's AJ Klein in coverage I think if there's something we could give an incomplete on it would be the defense it would be the defense. And I think that that's because the NFL as a whole, as we discussed earlier this week, has struggled in terms of playing defense. But we are now also incurring injuries to some of our key players. You're seeing signs of life from the defensive unit. But with those injuries, I just don't know what to make of it. Because you've got a, a linebacker who's, mid, what, uh, Milano's played two games now out of four? Yeah. You've got Tremaine Edmonds who's played three games yeah. He's played three full games, but he's clearly doesn't look well. I mean, you saw him missing tackles. You're seeing him taking the wrong gaps, not making, like, guys breaking tackles from Tremaine Edmonds. That's not his game. I wonder if it almost, I wonder if they don't have him out there just because of what they saw against the Dolphins was so bad that they know they can't survive, you know, they can't survive any other way. This defense gets an incomplete because I don't want to say they're bad. Because they're showing signs of improvement, and there's some signs there that they can make plays when they need to. It just worries the hell out of me because they haven't executed yet. And because of these injuries, we're probably over the course of the next week or two not going to get to see what it is they're actually capable of when they're all together. But that's the nature of football. Your your grade on the first four weeks for this Buffalo Bills team, Chris... As a whole? As a whole. A? That's, a, that's fair. I'd say an A-. minus. I think that they... Inf- I don't want to go B because that's disingenuous. And, I love and this And you're team. being negative like what you were on Sunday. <laughs> well, it's the defense's fault. And that's the, the only reason I give you an A- minus is because there's something here. Your offense is setting the world on fire right now. And that could evaporate. That could change over time as teams catch up to the things you're doing. Although Dable's doing a damn good job of mixing up his play calling and doing things. Like I said, he's he's on this head coaching circuit now for a reason. 
But if you're talking about the defense, they've just given up for, for the money we spent on that defensive line to not have a pass rush. For the the state of our secondary to have regressed so badly, I just feel like there's there's something there. And as much as I want to be an optimist that it'll get straightened out, I'm going to need to see it. And if Chris, if you were going to do it and make a Super Bowl run, this is the these are the games over the next four weeks that you're going to have to have. You're going to have to have these, and your defense is going to have to show that even if it's not the top unit in the NFL, that it can get you out of trouble. That if your offense stumbles, it can keep you in games and not let an opponent claw its way back from down 20-something points. We we have another collapse like the Rams. I I don't know what we're going to do, but it, it, and it's entirely possible given the quality of the opponents that we're going to face. What do you guys think? That's what I want to know. What do our listeners think? What grade would you give the core, the Bills at this quarter poll of the NFL season and why? Tweet at us at Report. Let us know what you think. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I like this AFC's roundup. Yeah, it's fun to know what's going around on around the division. Well, we've had a blast, but we got to get the hell out of here, guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the AFC's Roundup. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.